This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Over and Back's Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. Today's mystery is, why did the first two ABA champs skip town? All right, and we're back at uh, the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason. With, with me as usual is Rich. Hello. And uh, we are continuing our uh, basketball mysteries, looking at the first two ABA champions who both, after they won the champion, moved to a completely different city and <laughs> took a completely different identity. So we're going to look into the uh, reasons why that happened, because it's kind of crazy. Um, first, we're going to look at the uh, Pittsburgh Pipers. They won the 1967-68 uh, championship in the ABA. We realize that this is a 70s project, and we're talking about late 60s teams, but we feel like it all fits into the ABA. You know, It's the ABA. Yeah. Come on. You don't count the ABA as the late 60s. You count it as the 70s. Yes. Damn it. So, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, so, we've, too bad. We made it clear uh, you know, that we're, uh, we're going to dip a little bit into the late 60s. We're going to dip a little bit into the early 80s on a few of these things, but it's, you know, I, I think everyone can understand the spirit much coming yeah why bound ourselves by just you know the exact declaration of 1970 beginning you know you, you start getting the flow of the the 70s by you know 1969 and in, in, Amer- in american culture as well so you know, like, hey we're gonna do it 68 70, 69 and that's you know yes the beginning of the 70s in a lot of sure. ways so that's fine yes we'll count it you know so. of what i would consider the quote 70s so yeah no yeah. We'll, so people who are good. people who are at absolute sticklers for uh <laughs> you know for decades can skip this episode if you go to hell yeah so. go to hell yeah so give us a good review on itunes though. yeah go to hell yeah, and give yeah, us a good right review. yeah well maybe maybe give us the review first and then go to hell because i don't know if you can get Uh, oh yeah okay all right i I like that that's a good theory i like that okay so um their their top player was connie hawkins he was a new york city playground legend you know in the mold of of julius Irving, but before julius came around um he had been blackballed from the nba for a gambling scandal that he was reportedly failed to report a bribe although it was never proven in court and largely seen as unjust as other players who were uh, implicated in, in those things roger brown and doug moe who all were big stars for the early aba because they were guys who you know weren't available 
elbow to the NBA because of that, um, uh, because they've been banned. Um, he had played in Pittsburgh already with the um, ABA L team, the Wrens, in uh, in in '62 and '63 or '61, '62, I think. So, uh, so he had a history there, um, and it's I think I think it stayed there for the most part. He did. Uh, Played for the Harlem Globetrotters and um, and I believe played some AAU ball, but didn't really like Globetrotters and you know obviously was um, uh, at, at this point you know w- w- he wasn't old yet by any means, but he was you know um, in his mid twenties, so he was he, time was ticking in his basketball career. Um, he uh, that season he averaged twenty six point eight points per game, which led the league, thirteen point five rebounds per game, which was second in the league, and four point six assists per game, which was third in the league. Not a lot of passing in the ABA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> early days uh and um he had 17.9 win shares and the second player in the league larry jones of denver was second with 11.8 the, the difference between that the staggering difference in win shares between the the first and second best player in the league according to that metric is, is pretty staggering he also was a guy who everyone thought was a he was considered very, very unselfish very much a team player who also defended and kind of you know um embraced all the aspects of um, basketball not just you know being the uh you know being the best scorer in the star he was also very much a a good teammate according to everyone who um he played with yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, nothing but 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 good words uh, for the most part. Now, loose balls, of course, has tons of stories uh, about him as well. So it's it's yeah, definitely yeah, definitely. And, and again, like we're going to mention that book a lot, and, and you probably know this already. But if you haven't read that or, or listened to it, because I know you and I both went back and listened to it on the ebook, uh, definitely definitely recommend that you do this because uh, it, it's just the the I mean, there's no no competition in terms of ABA history or, or, or books detail in the ABA. Yeah. just no competition whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the other key players for the team, uh, Sweet Charlie Williams, who was a guard who'd also been blackballed by the uh, ABA. And there's a story in Loose Balls about Hawkins, like one of their key plays um, was he would basically toss like a one-handed pump fake, almost like a quarterback, and then would throw the ball uh, up to, and Sweet Charlie would catch it and, you know, lead to a, you know, a layup or whatever in the fast <laughs> break. Uh, also, had Chico Vaughn, who was a veteran guard from the NBA, one of the early players took advantage of the uh, the three-pointer which we talked about in a previous episode uh second in the aba in makes and uh, and attempts and fifth in percentage at 334 during that season so he and lester salvage were um way ahead of the curve on taking threes and in, in fact um uh he took uh, salvage took 461 threes in the aba's first season and no nba player until michael adams um in 1988 would uh, have that many attempts in a season so that's pretty incredible um um, um, thing there, you know, the, the, as far ahead of the curve that they were, but um, they also added. They also had Art Heyman, who was a uh, small forward who had the season basically turned around for them as he was acquired from the New Jersey Americans. Um, he was actually an AP national player of the year for duke but had been disappointing in the nba was known for having a little bit of a short temper and known for some fighting but um they won the aba finals against the new orleans buccaneers uh who in fact rallied from a 3-2 deficit in that series the bucks were led by uh larry brown yes that larry brown who was a star point guard for the league was considered too small to play in the nba but had um uh, i believe led the league and assist that year and then another guy who had been um a black ball in the gambling scandal as, as we mentioned forward doug moe perhaps the best defender in the league and also uh guard jimmy jones would become a, a six-time all-star the bucks would last three years in new orleans before moving 
moving to uh, Memphis. And there's a uh, there's a good article on um, the on the Pipers in the in the Post Gazette, Pittsburgh newspaper, where um, the, the uh, Pipers were down two one. Then Hawkins scored forty seven games points in game two, which the Pipers won in overtime, one hundred six point one hundred five. And then he tore the MCL on his right knee during the game. Uh, did not play in the next game, which the Pipers lost one hundred and eleven to one hundred eight. That set up game six in New Orleans, which was a must win. The Pipers were able to extend the series. Um, and um, pretty impressive comeback in uh, in in Game Six, Rich. I, I, I yeah, yeah. So you know, as you mentioned, you know, Game Six it was must win. Um, they started out really cold, and, and New Orleans raced out to kind of a fifteen point lead right away. Uh, Hawkins, uh, who had returned to the lineup despite uh, you know his injury, of course, he kind of took over, and you know, despite you know the pain in his knees, and, and he mentions it a lot as, as well. Just like you know, he really just was it was killing him. But hey, this is a must win. Got to do this. So you know, what? hey, he scores forty one points, uh, and a lot was. And, of course, drives because he was just so good at, you know, getting to the hole and, and driving to the lane. Uh, so, yeah, scores 41 on mostly drives. Uh, and the Pipers get a 118 to 112 uh, comeback victory. And that sets up the seventh and divisive game in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Fortunately, the crowds uh, hadn't been good there. So I don't know if the Pittsburgh's going to have a good home court advantage or maybe not. Yeah, they, maybe they, there was one game that they actually sold out uh, really well. They, they had, <laughs> in fact, the, the game uh, was delayed for an hour because there weren't enough ticket takers and sellers for everybody <laughs> in, which is great. That's perfect. Yes. That's so ABA there. They're like, uh-oh, yes. <laughs> like people are actually coming. No, we're not ready for this. So it was a close game, um, and uh, and Williams had 35 points, Hawkins at 29. Uh, the Bucks stayed within striking distance until the final few minutes. Uh, Doug Doug Moe had two technical fouls and was ejected after he claimed the, the officials had let Hawkins get away with a double dribble. The uh, even-tempered Doug Moe, never known for getting into a, a fight, was uh, was ejected from the game. And then the, the Pipers won the game uh, 112-113, reigning as the first uh, ABA champions. Uh, fun, 122. 122. Well, I'm sorry, 122. Someone will correct you and yes. say that you said it yes. wrong. So. <laughs> Just Thank you. Know. you. Uh, yes. No. The uh, fun thing, the Pipers actually share a nickname with the Cleveland Pipers, who won the 62 ABA. Championship, which was the of course the predecessor league to the ABA, the only season they completed in that league. Uh, until until this year, 2016, <laughs> Pittsburgh could actually say it won a Pro Hoops Championship more recently than Cleveland. So, uh, so great. Yeah, that'll that they won though. Thank God, they could say until 2016, yes. or else we would, people would be very upset and rightfully so yes. for our Cleveland fans. But uh, yeah, no, that game seven. I mean, you. I think there's even a story in loose balls where a lot of the ABA guys were like, you know, they, they of course didn't want the game. You know, they weren't going to rig the series to get it to go to game seven or whatever. But a lot of times said that that was just a huge part in that league sort of gaining some steam because they said oh we're in we're, we're kind of in newspapers like they're kind of covering us like yes. you know people actually came to this game like people were interested oh my god there's this big game seven in this you know new league or whatever and they say a lot of ways it kind of put them on the map in, in in some ways in terms of just getting coverage where they had not gotten any coverage you know nothing like it basically existed in a vacuum in a lot of ways and this was the first time where a lot of people started to say oh hey the ABA exists that's pretty cool that's kind of fun so it was it was definitely a an important game in their league's history. Yes. So uh, despite the success in that one game, the uh, Pipers left for Minnesota in the ABA second season. Uh, the Muskies had just left uh, Minnesota, though, and moved to Miami. So that was a questionable decision. Um, but according to Loose Pauls, this was at least in part because the ABA's president, George Mikan, wanted to have a team in, uh, in, in Minneapolis where he lived and where the uh, ABA was headquartered because he had his travel agency there and basically to agree to have him be the uh, ABA president or I, I guess he might have been ABA commissioner but either way whatever title that he officially had um he 
part of the agreement was you had to have the uh, I'm not moving to New York, so you have to have it in Minneapolis, which angered a lot of the owners and eventually led to Mike and being um, uh, being ousted as uh, commissioner a couple years later, although he was important for getting some credibility for the league since he was a huge name in basketball and, you know, was uh, important in getting the um, the, the, the league launched, even if his commissioner uh, is known for mostly for having some major gaffes. But um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. And, and like he did a lot to get him, like, like you said, I mean, a lot for them to get him on the map. But then it was sort of a, a point where, uh, again, uh, you know, you read a bunch of stories about this where there was times where he was kind of about to launch on a lot of stuff and just didn't seem like he really wanted, uh, you know, at, at a certain point, he, he you know, his 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 worth had probably been extended and the league was starting to get a little bit older and, and and just really the league started getting a little bit more respectable and didn't need you know that guy you know being sort of a figurehead in a lot of ways and and, and a lot of ways a lot of owners thought they were kind of holding them back by you know putting right. the offices in Minneapolis yeah. or whatnot so um it definitely I mean it did it did his job for the first few years of getting that league on the map but yeah by a certain point they kind of wanted to move on and, and and get going so sure uh but but did it but definitely did his job and definitely was an important part of of why the ABA existed in the first place you know yeah yeah he also it was his idea to have the, the three-pointers so, um, yeah, exactly. and the yes. everybody blue ball. Those were, um, those were his innovations. Those were his ideas, um, to, uh, to include that. Those are must haves for including those in leagues. So those are pretty, those are things that the league's obviously known for. So, uh, he was smart in, in that respect. Um, the but putting the pipers in, in minnesota not so good uh I- injuries all over after their new coach jim harding basically ran his players in the ground during uh, during really long practices they they hardly had any chance to recuperate and all the top guys in the in the team hawkins williams vaughn and Heyman, all of them um were were injured and in fact uh, the coach um, physically attacked the chairman of the Pipers during a all-star banquet uh, before the all-star game. And um, and then uh, then the, the coach was fired on the spot, but it was too late to uh, save their season. Uh, they returned to Pittsburgh again, but surprisingly or not surprisingly, that did not go well. They um, were not very accepted there. Um, fans kind of held a grudge against the team. Plus, Connie Hawkins went to the NBA, did not go back to Pittsburgh. So that obviously was a huge drawing card for them or potentially would have been. And they ended up lasting two seasons until uh, folding after the uh, 1972 season. The the one interesting thing they did during that time, but they, they, I guess they did a couple other interesting things, but they uh, tried to they had a select your new nickname uh contest and the name pioneers was such as the winning entry but a local school point park college already used that name so they threatened um uh they threatened legal action there was also uh, someone a, a contestant sued the team saying that the winning pioneers entry did not stay within the disney 25 uh word contest limit so they ended up just choosing condors instead so this is a story from <laughs> remember the aba by the way which of course uh, other than loose balls is those are really the two incredible resources for the uh, aba the loose balls book and remember the aba website both incredible resources for people who are interested in the uh, aba and have been helpful in our research so um that's about it if you uh if you visit the heinz history center um in uh, in pittsburgh you can see the uh the first aba championship trophy won by the pipers so at the at the western pennsylvania sports museum which is in the heinz history center so let's 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 plan a road trip there <laughs> let's do that yeah we'll do a live podcast in front before they kick us out so we'll uh we'll, we'll see what we can they, you know what they should probably let us they shouldn't kick us out, right? I, feel I, like us, I, I, I will. You know, we'll see. We'll send an email. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah, yeah, or maybe just go and just do it. And if we get kicked out, you know, that's uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Maybe be- then we got a good story for the cast. Yeah. You know, a good story for the podcast. Exactly. Um, so 
the next season, 69 season, Oakland Oaks, um, they uh, they are a great team, um, 60 and 18 with a 7.6 SRS, which is the second best in ABA history. Uh, the Oaks had had a lot of problems the year before. Uh, they were co-owned by singer Pat Boone, and they'd lured Rick Berry from the NBA, but he had to sit out for a year because of the reserve clause. Uh, he would have been coached by his father-in-law and college coach Bruce Hale, but that was uh, uh, Hale ended up being bumped up to the uh, – a lot of times in the 60s and 70s, they would – if the coach was fired, they would actually bump him up to general manager because that wasn't seen as a promotion then. So I love how so many times the um, the, the, the coach just ends up you know being kicked upstairs rather than actually being fired. So <laughs> Right, yeah. Um, okay, well, now you have to get on the phone and make trade. And it's like, yes. you know, oh, oh man. man, scout. Whereas now guys do that for a relaxation. Like, good, thank God I don't have to coach anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Probably the scouting on the road may have even been like worse lifestyle on the road than <laughs> than, the, than the coaching on the road. That, that might have been it. But anyway, in 69, they hired Alex Hannum from the 76ers. Uh, he had, of course, won the championship in, in 67. So he you know, was a, a pretty good um, hire for the team. Um, and uh, and then, you know, Barry comes along. He's also part owner of the team, at least on paper, although that doesn't really work out for him. Um, the uh, He felt like that gave him a reputation as being selfish and money hungry. He feuded with Hannum over not being promoted enough or, or actually over not promoting the team enough, uh, getting hurt, and then feeling like Hannum was taking control of the team over from Bruce Hale, his father-in-law. Uh, he actually thought that other NBA players would jump to the ABA with him, but then later admitted that he was naive and didn't really do his research. Ended up getting paid less by the ABA than he would have in the ABA. And then he says he thought he could jump back to the NBA if the Oaks left town. Apparently, he thought the, there was that close, clause in his contract, or maybe it was just a verbal one, but they uh, uh, that did not work out for him either. So, uh, bad, bad plan by Rick Barry there for uh, pretty much the whole thing. So, <laughs> well, hey, yeah. That's... If only he had signed his contracts underhanded. <laughs> so, uh, the Oaks, however, the uh, they traded for Larry Brown and Doug Moe, who we mentioned uh, just earlier, for, who had led New Orleans to the finals in 68. They would lead the Oaks to the finals, in fact, the championship in 69. Uh, they were two of the be- three best players from that team. Um, Brown led the league in assists again, and Moe was second team all ABA, finishing with 19 points per game, 8.2 rebounds. Uh, a little bit of an aside from um, Moe and uh, Brown, they uh, were linked to very much so in the ABA. They played their first two seasons together. Then they would split apart for a little while, but then would reunite briefly in Virginia in 1971 as players. And then um, Larry Brown would retire to become a coach. So Doug Moe would join him as an assistant in Carolina for two seasons. And then they would jump together to Denver uh, after the stuff started going bad in Carolina. So combined, they played and coached for five franchises together in like eight seasons. So... Um, They also added rookies Warren Jabali, who was the rookie of the year, (laughs) then known as Warren Armstrong, uh, really talented, tough, uh, 6'2", 200-pound guard, also had a bit of a fiery personality, which we'll get into a bit, and then Jim Eakins, who was a center with a long career, uh, mostly with the uh, franchise. So Mm -hmm. um, Barry got hurt, however, in uh, right around Christmas, got torn knee ligaments. He tried to come back, but then re-injured his knee and lost for the season. But they continued to steamroll through the ABA. They won 16 games in a row. Uh, during that time, uh, Jabali was suspended for 15 uh, games for stop- stopping on an appointment. <laughs> 
and he was rankled his teammates a lot he was viewed as an outspoken black nationalist bounced around from team to team and got into a lot of fights had a lot of uh, uh, issues with um, teammates just you know, had a hard time getting along with them they're, they're sort of some people that did actually like him and you know and thought uh, and later on he was more respected for um, being a guy who you know, did a lot for his community and, and, and was um, you know maybe a little bit misunderstood in his time but he definitely uh, there was a lot of anger going on with him during that time so oh absolutely yeah but just a key part i mean you look at the numbers and when he was in oakland and, and you know even when he was in washington after after this but yeah his oakland numbers are, are impressive especially uh in the playoffs he averaged i think a team high 28.8 points per game 21 uh in the regular season you know nine rebounds three assists like just a very you know just an awesome player once he was on the court but you can see through his career you know oakland washington indiana miami denver san diego like no nobody really wanted him for more than like a year uh but yeah as you could said he, he sort of gained a little bit more respect later in life when people kind of saw what he was doing but of course you know at the in that era you know not the best time to be you know an outspoken african-american uh in this country at that point yes, but absolutely. uh yeah no he, he definitely um is well known for for his exploits <laughs> uh on the court uh, not always in terms of things doing <laughs> involving a basketball unfortunately a lot yes. of fights uh, man who enjoyed his fights, but hey, that's sometimes you need that. Yeah, that, but, that happened yeah. in the ABA a lot. I mean, there, he was he was yes. probably the only guy to be, start a lot of fights. That that was obviously a, a big part of the league, which we'll, we'll, we're going to do a different episode. So, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so yeah, they they beat the uh, Pacers in the ABA Finals. Um, as you mentioned, Jabali he averaged twenty nine points and thirteen rebounds for the playoffs, including thirty three points in the finals. Um, and basically led the team. You know, I mean, obviously Brown and Mo and you know were were important as well. But Barry, as we mentioned, did not play. He did dress for the championship final to protect his suede suit. He did not want that getting. Uh, he did not want champagne getting on his suede suit. So he, uh, you know, he wore his uniform for it. Um, All right. The oh, that's such a Rick Barry thing. It is, you know. <laughs> they especially the suede. You don't want to. Ra- I'm with them though. I don't yeah. want to. Ra- I don't want to ruin that suede. Yeah, absolutely not. You guys don't make that much money then. You know that, that no. suede suits set you back yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was a he was a clothes horse. He enjoyed his uh, he enjoyed his clothes. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm Team Barry on that one. Yeah. Even though it's it's very Rick Barry that he would do that, but I I, I approve of that. Sure, so. sure. He um, lost a game two at home, or the Oaks lost game two at home, but then they ended up winning two in Indiana, sent it back to Oakland, and the Oaks won game five in overtime. Uh, Jabali had 39 points in that game. They were able to hold off the Pacers despite uh, Fred Lewis having 33 points and Roger Brown having 31 points, and they were the Pacers themselves were beginning their run of three titles and five finals appearances in 17. They fell short this year, but they would win the championship in the next year and not move, unlike every other ABA champion so far uh, would, uh, would do. So, um, there's a pretty cool video um, at um, uh, that we found was uh, the video with the, the team celebrating, and then Alex Hannum, the coach, gives this speech where he talks about the Oaks creating a potential longtime ABA power in the city, and how they've made their mark in the community, and how they're you know they're there to stay. Uh, just a few damn weeks right before they decide to move, and then Rick Barry for some reason brings up what the Celtics did uh, during the playoffs uh, in a speech. So that that was very Rick Barry of, uh, of <laughs> to sideswipe somebody yes. else well, in his own. Well, no, he, I think he was actually sort of yeah, it was it was more not that he was disrespectful anybody it was more that just it was like well it was kind of beside the point of uh you know it was just a weird thing to bring up but anyway um so yeah they uh they moved to washington dc after they had some uh major ownership problems and uh pat boone lost a lot of money 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah, not <laughs> not great in terms of stuff. Uh, yeah, he, he sold it to Earl Foreman uh, from DC, but yeah, of course he was m- losing a ton of dollar, uh, money. Uh, there was just issues going on where guys were you know borrowing against money and not really sure what was coming in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but of course, yeah, he sold it to uh, uh, businessman Earl Foreman uh, who moved the team to DC. But yeah, a lot of a lot of issues where Pat Boone is is kind of like, all right, guys, like I I need to know what I'm doing with my money, and that was a, a huge issue with a lot of the early owners in the ABA. Like you know they signed on the lines. Not really knowing, hey, what the hell's going on here? Who's the money going to? How much am I going to spend? How much am I going to, you know, it was just kind of, hey, do you have a decent amount of money? Can you pay the, you know, entrance fee? Yeah, you can. But uh, Pat Boone and, and Loose Balls talks about a lot of issues that he had uh, with his co-owner as well, sort of not being the most trusting uh, with his money as well. So, yeah, Pat Boone got out of there as soon as possible. But uh, luckily, he found a uh, a, a buyer. So that's uh, it all worked out pretty, pretty OK for Oakland because they uh, looked like they were about to fold as well. But. Yes. So Which the ABA could not afford, really, because uh, a lot of issues after that first year, of course, of a bunch of people or that second year uh, of a lot of teams folding and not really uh, being able to be uh, stable. So it was nice that that uh, Foreman was able to buy them and, and, and give them a little bit of stability. Yeah. So um, even uh, so briefly after that, uh, the uh, they became the Washington Capitals. However, they had to play in the Western Division, and um, and Barry he negotiated with the Warriors to jump back to the NBA because he he wanted no part of uh, DC. Eventually, he lost the lawsuit and he did join the Capitals in DC sort uh, toward, toward the middle of the season. Um, however, when they moved to Virginia to become the Squires, he did an interview with Sports Illustrated where he insulted the region and basically forced a trade to the uh, New York Nets, where he spent a couple seasons before uh, actually before his contract that he had signed with the Warriors to go back to the NBA actually took effect so he decided uh, at that point even though he kind of wanted to stay with the Nets he didn't want to have to sit out a year and decided to go and play uh, with the Warriors again so um, and then you know the rest is history as to say um, and yeah the Squires were perpetually basically they always had to they were always struggling with money despite having guys like Julius Irving and George Gervin later when they were both very young they always were forced to sell those players to the more powerful teams and they held on to survive the ABA's last season but folded just before the merger leaving them out of any settlement so after all that they <laughs> did not you know get it it was like days before too that's the other yeah, thing it was, too it was, it's like if they it, it was a little bit a month yeah but yeah it was it was right, yeah month yeah because they, they, they couldn't pay that entrance fee so they were out and then like hey by the way we got this one fall of cash coming and we're, we're merging with the other league but bye like thank you yeah. but uh yeah no just a, uh, one of the more I, I would say of the franchise that kind of bounced around a little bit i would say maybe the most interesting of those franchises because you know of course you have the start in oakland with ron boone and rick barry and like they just they every one of their stops was like a completely different sort of new like the Virginia Squires and the Oakland Oilers like nothing that relates the two you know what I mean like it's very they were just such an interesting team that was able to sort of stay alive amidst all these just oddities and new players coming in and and issues and it's just amazing that they were able to be as stable as they were uh, despite all those moving and uh, and player movement and and money troubles almost from the beginning uh, of their inception yeah yeah absolutely I mean there's a lot of good uh, it's crazy how many teams of course were created and how many teams of course moved and we're going to you know get into that in a different episode but yeah. uh but yeah it's 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 just amazing so all right everyone uh thanks for uh checking us out uh, we're going to continue our uh, basketball mysteries of the uh, 70s throughout the summer so uh, if you're into it please let us know you can uh, find us on twitter and facebook at over and back nba we are at harborparoxysm.com if you uh, uh find us on itunes or stitcher or wherever you uh, download your podcasts and uh, if you can leave us a review uh preferably a good one we, we like that it makes us feel good and um until next time uh, thanks for listening we'll be back again soon 
next time on Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. And apparently a ref had to come up and tell the guys, like, no, you're done. Like, you won. And, and you know, they didn't know. Like, they were ready for the huddle. Like, it's like we've always just had the two-pointer. You know, it, it was... You know, he, he recalls, you know, 68 feet behind the brand new three point line, but still, they it just it, it, they weren't wired to do that. It was a two point shot. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.